This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you, Ian, and to and nice to see you out on this uh, sunny Sunday morning. Um, as he said, um, my name's Kate Bird, and for I worked in photography for many years. I'm a photographer myself, and I also worked at the Vancouver Public Library historical photographs over my career. I went to UBC and graduated in art history from there, and then went on to um, the University of Western Ontario to get my master's degree in library science. When I got back to Vancouver, I worked for a time at the public library again, and then in 1990 I was hired by the Vancouver Sun and Province Library to, um, at that time it was to take over their negatives collection. The negatives that were shot by, uh, assignments shot by photographers had been handled by people in the newsrooms for years and the library decided to take over the management of those. And in 1990, I was hired to uh, start to put the negatives uh, assignments into a computer database. So I did that for a while. And then in 1994, it was the Commonwealth Games over in Victoria. And the papers decided to try out using digital cameras for the first time. They were just new to the news industry at the time. After that, because they were trying to get the images back from Victoria in a timely way to get into the newspaper. So after that experiment, in 1995, they decided to, uh, they became the first papers in North America to go all digital. Uh, it was a huge project and uh, something I was very involved with was the new digital archive. For the photographers, it was a huge learning curve because they had used film cameras which were far superior to the very poor quality digital cameras back in 1995. Uh, there were $10,000 Nikon digital cameras that produced four megapixel photos, which now is so tiny uh, compared to anything you have on your phone. So um, I worked with that collection, the digital archive and the uh, collection at the Sun and Province, the hard copy photo collection, which is extremely extensive. And um, in, in 2012, it was the 100th anniversary of the Vancouver Sun. And I worked with Shelley Freilich, who's a columnist and writer for the Vancouver Sun, on this book, Making Headlines, 100 Years of the Vancouver Sun. And the book did really well. It won a BC Book Prize. And on the strength of that, we were contacted by Greystone Books, a local publisher, who said, you know, we'd like to do some books based on this great photo collection you have access to. And that came about just when I was retiring from, after 25 years at the Sun and Province. So um, we, uh, after that, I did, worked on a book, Vancouver in the 70s, uh, with photos from the, uh, the 70s from the Vancouver Sun. Um, at that time in the 70s, the photographers were shooting over 4,000 assignments every year of every kind of subject, business, sports, entertainment, news, politics, everything. Um, and it just shows you the, the breadth of the uh, coverage at that time. 
And then when I was researching Vancouver in the 70s, as far as protest demonstrations, there were so many in that decade. It was just unbelievable. It was real, the rise of the social justice movement in all different ways. So I thought at that time I could do a whole book on protest demonstrations. Um, and so Greystone went for that idea. And of course, rather than just the 70s, I did it for the, an entire century. Um, so when I was researching the book, the early years were difficult because there weren't a lot of photographs in the paper in the early years. There weren't staff photographers at the newspapers till the late 30s. And there wasn't a library either in the, until the late 30s. Prior to that, it was staff, uh, I mean, local freelance photographers who had photo studios and equipment of their own who would provide photos uh, to the newspapers. And uh, so I, uh, that's why it's so remarkable that in, you can't see this that well, but in 1907, after the anti-Asian riot uh, in Chinatown and Japantown, this followed a meeting of the, anti, um, the Asiatic Exclusion League. And a bunch of people afterwards went in, on a rampage down in Chinatown and Japantown, breaking windows of businesses and homes and such. Um, and at, you know there were three these th three photographs ran on the front page of the province. Just technically getting local pictures into the newspaper that quickly was really remarkable. And um, I couldn't find these exact photographs; they don't exist anymore. As did many that I, I, I found in the newspaper, but wasn't able to find. Um, but others similar to that are in the collection at the Vancouver City Archives and at the Vancouver Public Library Special Collections. So I searched for the early years, I had to search outside the Sun and Province archives into every archive I could think of to try to find certain images. I had a really hard time finding um, images of women. I couldn't find photographs of suffragettes on the street um, uh, looking you know, to get the vote, uh, which it was very active here. Uh, there just weren't pictures in the paper. Many, many protests and demonstrations were recorded in the newspaper. They just didn't have photographs with them. Um, for instance, this, which is in the 1930s, and a war widow being evicted with her children um, in, during the 30s, which was a very, very tough time here and uh, during the Depression. So I looked for certain images, as I say, and just uh, couldn't find them to include in the book. Other ones I found in the photo files, but they had no information on them. So that was another process of what was this all about, this protest from the 40s. There was no information. Uh, you probably can't see this, but this is a kind of photo, uh, cards for this is uh, demonstrations and protests in the Vancouver Sun. And all the photo assignments uh, are recorded. So things like uh, flagpole sitter in hope, uh, Chilean protest at Robson Square, these are from the 80s, Amnesty International write-a-thon, just the number of uh, assignments for, photo, uh, for protest demonstrations of every kind over the years. Um, there's also a card for riots. And some of them, I couldn't find these negatives either. One was interesting of in the 40s of zoot suitors in a riot with policemen. Zoot suitors in the 40s were young men who wore zoot suits. <laughs> and they would go and kind of pick fights with sailors and merchant marines downtown. 
And then another one, Crescent Beach, scene of hoodlum riot <laughs> in Crescent Beach. I thought that was great. <laughs> but once I had assembled all the photographs, I found, I looked at them thinking of common themes that went over time. One of them, of course, is May Day. May Day's been celebrated in Vancouver and elsewhere for over a century. This is a 19... Um, 1937 May Day Parade on Georgia Street, and uh, there's a, a, a white lunch strikers are there, a white lunch restaurant. Uh, they won that strike because customers wouldn't cross the picket line. Um, so, and that's what Georgia Street looked like in 1937. So things like uh, May Day, as I say. Uh, another th common theme over time was the number of times that Vancouverites felt they had to take their grievances to Ottawa. We were really far away from Ottawa, and you know, especially in the early years. And I mean, it's the same today, isn't it? <laughs> um, so that, this was a really common theme over time. This is an example in 1907, Joe Capilano. Uh, this is at the North Vancouver Ferry Wharf. And he and a number of other um, chiefs were, went to Ottawa first to speak to Prime Minister Sir Wilfrid Laurier and then carried on to London to meet King Edward VII regarding um, Indigenous land claims. At the time they were told it was a very thorny issue and they would have to be patient. In 1930s, as I said before, was a really, really tough time everywhere. Um, there were a lot of men in, this is 1935, there were hundreds of men in relief camps all over the province. Uh, they made 20 cents a day because there was so much unemployment, they were sent to relief camps, mostly logging camps and other um, infrastructure type projects. So they were tired of the conditions, were very poor, and they uh, descended on Vancouver in large numbers and um, had a number of protest demonstrations in Vancouver. And then finally, in June of that year, they boarded boxcars to head to Ottawa to try once again to have their grievances heard. In 1970, um, Vancouver Women's Caucus, a very active women's group, uh, one of the most active and biggest in, in the country, um, set off on what, what they called the abortion caravan. It was a convoy of cars that headed to Ottawa to um, discuss abortion rights. And in 1986, a number of people went to Ottawa to, um, on a train to protest logging in Haida Gwaii. These are just a few of many, many times over the years heading to Ottawa. Another interesting thing was Vancouver's protest space. Uh, this is at the formerly Vancouver Courthouse, now the Vancouver Art Gallery. And part, this is a 1967 anti-Vietnam uh, War protest. Um, so in uh, Vancouver City Hall used to be located on Main Street just near Carnegie Center. And then in 1937, it moved up to 12th and Camby. And so that was really far away from downtown. And so the courthouse became the de facto protest space, for, and it still is. In fact, that when they renovated the North Plaza recently, they did a lot of, um, they 
wanted feedback on what people wanted instead of making it into green space or a park or something like that. It was decided to retain it as a plaza for um, a place in downtown to gather. Other protest spaces were the Powell Street grounds, now Oppenheimer Park. Uh, the Canby Street grounds, which is Larwell Park, uh, formerly where the Vancouver Bus Depot was, now a parking lot. Still Vancouver City Hall and Victory Square, of course too small now for the kind of protests, and Stanley Park, especially for May Day protests over the years at Malcolm Bowl and Lumberman's Arch. Another thing I discovered that Vancouver has long been a vanguard of protest activism. Um, and this is Greenpeace, which started here in Vancouver. And in 1971, they garnered uh, worldwide attention when they rented this fishing boat, the Phyllis Cormac, and sailed up to Amchitka to protest the US five megaton nuclear test off Amchitka Island in Alaska. Um, they went up there thinking, I don't know what, but anyway, hoping to do something. And of course, they were turned away by the US Marines and the Coast Guard and everybody, and they thought that they completely failed in this campaign. When they came back to Vancouver, they realized that they had garnered worldwide attention uh, for this action. And of course, they went on to become a global organization um, fighting for the rights of whales, seals, and many other causes. While they were off in Amchitka, uh, 10,000 Lower Mainland school kids descended on Vancouver from 22 schools. Many uh, students were allowed out of school by their principals. Many were not, who I've spoken to. <laughs> and so 10,000 kids, so many people remember being at this um, huge protest. So years later, um, Bob Hunter, who was on the Amchitka uh, and, and a founder of Greenpeace, was asked, um, Greenpeace founding member Bob Hunter, a former reporter for the Vancouver Sun, was once asked why the environmental organization evolved in Vancouver, of all places. He replied that Vancouver had the biggest concentration of tree huggers, radicalized students, garbage dump stoppers, shit disturbing unionists, freeway fighters, pot smokers, aging Trotskyites, condo killers, farmland savers, fish preservationists, animal rights activists, back to the landers, vegetarians, nudists, Buddhists, and anti-spraying, anti-pollution marchers and picketers in the country and per capita in the world. So what I've got is just a selection of pictures from the book of various issues over the years. Um, uh, the first one is in 1900. This is a Steveston salmon strike. Um, this was a strike by Fraser River sockeye salmon fishermen, a mix of white and uh, First Nations and Japanese fishermen. They were demanding 25 cents per fish. The cannery offered 15 cents and the, called in the Duke of Connaught's own rifles to keep and maintain order. In the end, the fishermen got 19 cents per fish. Uh, just in, you know, in, in Vancouver and in BC, of course, there was a lot of activism around it being a resource-based uh, place with logging, fishing, uh, longshoremen, um, and very involved in union, union activism. This was a 1912 free speech um, demonstration in Vancouver. It was organized by the International Workers of the World, who were a U.S. organization that came up and 
came into all those resource-based industries, as I said, to try to unionize. Um, 24 men were arrested. What had happened was that the city council had put a ban on public meetings to try to clamp down on this union activism. But they ended up um, disregarding that. It just didn't work, so they abandoned it. In 1914, the Komagata Maru arrived to Vancouver with would-be immigrants, uh, most of them from India. Uh, it was hired by Indian businessman Gurdit Singh, who's in the white um, beard and uh, suit. And he was purposely challenging Canada's exclusionary immigration policy toward Asians. Uh, of the 376 passengers, most of them were denied entry to Canada. They were forced to remain on the, on the ship for two months before being forced under armed guard, um, to, armed escort to leave. Um, Gurdit Singh said at the time, we're British citizens and we consider we have the right to visit any part of the empire. We're determined to make this a test case and if we're refused entrance to your country, the matter will not end there. Uh, these are UBC students in uh, protest in 1922. During the First World War, um, the building of the University of British Columbia campus came to a halt. And uh, students were crammed into what were called the Fairview shacks. And so by 1922, students felt just um, they were bursting in the seams of these Fairview shacks. So they wanted to draw attention to finishing, completing the uh, UBC campus. This is a science building at UBC with all these um, students from various faculties. In 1935, as I said before, it was uh, all the, these uh, relief camp men showed up in Vancouver protesting to, uh, for employment and better conditions in the relief camps. And they occupied the Hudson Bay store um, where they chanted work and wages before being driven out. Some were arrested. Afterwards, um, Vancouver Mayor Jerry McGeer stood in front of the cenotaph, he's in that crowd, and ordered them to disperse. When they didn't, he shouted, okay boys, you asked for it and here it is and read the riot act, <laughs> literally. Uh, the next month around Mother's Day, there was an organization called the Vancouver Mothers Council. These are a lot of women in Vancouver whose uh, goal was to help the relief camp men. There was huge public support for the relief camp men and they helped to uh, raise money and uh, provide food. Uh, there were a lot of uh, people even on City Council of Vancouver involved in this and a lot of socialist communist women um, took part in this. So they formed the shape of a heart at Stanley Park. Three years later, conditions weren't much better. And uh, in May 1938, 1,200 men marched into downtown Vancouver and occupied the Vancouver Art Gallery, which was located further west on Georgia Street back then, the post office, and the Hotel Georgia. Um, the Hotel Georgia, they were offered money to leave, and they did. <laughs> And, um, but they occupied, the final building they occupied was the post office, which was a federal building. And on uh, June 19th, after 30 days of occupation, the RCMP and city police went and evicted the men um, from the post office. It was quite a violent confrontation with uh, tear gas and billy clubs. 
And that evening, 10,000 people gathered at the Powell Street grounds to protest police brutality. As I said, that this uh, strong um, uh, support for the relief camp men was even uh, editorials in the Vancouver Sun at the time were in support, which you know was pretty right wing, and uh, it was kind of surprising when I read that. In 1942, uh, when Japanese were being interned, they were held in, this was the immigration building downtown, kind of where the um, uh, Vancouver Convention Center is now. And this is a woman waving to her loved one. The night before, there had been a riot by 130 Japanese men being detained because they were refusing to go to work camps without their families. Oh, by the way, that photo, I looked everywhere for it, and I couldn't find it. And I finally found it in the collection of the Toronto Star newspaper, even though it ran on the front page of the province. That's very funny. Um, in 1944, this is a group of Dukabors. They staged a six-hour vigil at the Vancouver courthouse to demand release of 13 of their brethren from Ocala prison. In 1946, there was a big strike at the Vancouver Province newspaper. It was a very bitter strike. Um, the newspaper still put the paper out, and they were trying to distribute it. And um, this big melee uh, broke out with cars being overturned, newspapers set on fire. Uh, this is at um, Victory Square, where the province used to be on Canby Street, Canby and Hastings. The province at the time was the number one paper in Vancouver, and after this strike, they never regained their, their number one position again because so many people refused to uh, subscribe. No, the province was separate from the, the Sun and province were separate until the 60s. Uh, the, well, they were on uh, BD at the Sun Tower. The Sun was at the Sun Tower. In, 19, in January 1946, um, Second World War veterans were back in Vancouver and they could not find housing. There was a massive housing shortage. So they occupied the old Hotel Vancouver, which was empty and slated for demolition um, to draw attention to the city's acute housing con uh, shortage. Their action resulted in the creation of the Citizens Rehabilitation Council hostel in the hotel, which um, operated till 1948. So families such as this, uh, five people would be in a hotel room. Uh, I also included riots in uh, the book, um, which are sort of protests of a, a different sort. <laughs> um, in the 1994 Stanley Cup, riot here. A lot of people felt like, oh, this is a new thing, but it's not a new thing. It was a long-standing uh, sports riots, concert riots, have long been a part of Vancouver history. This is a 1955 Grey Cup riot downtown. The, the Lions were not even in the Grey Cup that year. <laughs> they were just, it was just being here, you know, it was just being held here. Um, and 50,000 people um, as, as the paper said, hoodlum gangs spoiled the fun. There was also big Grey Cup riots in 1958 and a huge one in 1966. Uh, this is a, a ban the bomb anti-nuclear protest demonstration at Victory Square in 1963. Vancouver has a long history of 
peace activism. Um, and, but it just shows in the early days, in the early 60s, there would be this handful of people. By the end of the 60s and the Vietnam War, there was 10,000 people. This was a roadblock. Uh, CNR work crew started rebuilding track up in North Vancouver's Mission District, and this picket um, appeared. Uh, early First Nations activism, um, Indigenous people weren't even allowed to protest until the 50s. Another Vancouver tradition is the Halloween riot. Um, <clears throat> they took place in Dunbar, um, Main Street, Chinatown, and this was in North Vancouver at Edgemont Village with a three-hour riot by a thousand people on Halloween. This is 1968. 1968, uh, there were huge student protests. I mean, there had been through the 60s, but that was really the big culminating year. Um, this is American yippie Jerry Rubin at UBC, and he spoke to UBC students here. And afterwards, a number of students um, went and occupied the faculty club at UBC, and uh, where they drank all the booze, you know, swam naked in the pool until they were um, evicted. Uh, at the same time, Simon Fraser st University students were also staging a sit-in, one of many over the 60s in uh, SFU. There was quite the hotbed of activism. Um, this is the biggest one. Uh, 114 people were arrested. Um, they were, students, though, were, wanted to be more involved in the running of the university, and also they wanted more access to their student records. This is a big peace rally um, against the uh, U.S. war in Vietnam. This is Member of Parliament Grace McInnes. That's in 1969. And of course, in 1970s, you know, social justice movement really gets ramped up. This is uh, uh, the Vancouver Women's Caucus once again protesting Canada's abortion laws at the now Sinclair Center. And in 1971, uh, there, this is the Gastown riot. Uh, there had been a whole year of war between um, hippies and transient youth in Vancouver and Mayor Tom Campbell. And uh, it kind of culminated at the Gastown riot, which was a pro-marijuana uh, gathering that uh, got very heavy-handed by the police. There was an inquiry after. Things kind of changed after that. Um, but uh, this is the infamous Gastown riot. This is the first gay rights demonstration by Gay Alliance Towards Equality in 1971. It's just a small gathering of about a dozen brave souls at the uh, courthouse. And the rise of the uh, First Nations protesting, uh, inspired in a, in a lot of ways by the American Indian movement in the US. Here's a demonstration in 1979 by a group of disabled against Bill van der Zem regarding transit, better access to transit. And these are members Lower Mainland East Indian Taxi Drivers Association protesting alleged racism at yellow cabs. There was also a lot of South Asians protesting uh, for far farm worker conditions in the 80s. Here's the Ku Klux Klan. It's kind of shocking, 1982, um, on Hastings Street, protesting communism. <laughs> I know, it's just so shocking in 1982 that this was part of 
in the house of hot corned beef, if anyone remembers that. I do. This is Vancouver Sun photographer George Dyack, who's still around and in his mid-90s. On uh, the early 80s as well, uh, this is 1982 as well, there was a huge peace rally at the Peace Arch border, uh, Unite for Peace, with 100,000 people. This was a time of the tri Trident warhead and um, a lot of fear about the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And the start of a lot of peace marches. In 1983, there was the Solidarity Movement, which was a protest demonstration, went on for many months against the BC provincial government's restraint budget. Um, it was the largest anti-government protest in BC history. And in the 80s, there was a lot of protest against uh, pornography and, <laughs> yeah. Um, these are people against uh, pornography at the Red Hot Video Store on Main Street. There was a, a Vancouver groups called uh, Direct Action and the Women's Fire Brigade. They were um, local groups who felt that regular protest demonstrations were not effective, so they wanted to take more direct action. And they are more commonly known as the Vancouver Five or the Squamish Five. Um, they were arrested and put in jail for some of these actions that were violent but there is a Vancouver homegrown movement. Once again, another uh, campaign, Shame the Johns, um, that was created by citizens groups to get rid of street uh, um, prostitution, mostly in Mount Pleasant and the West End. In 1989, there were protests all through uh, for many, many months after the um, student protesters were killed at Tiananmen Square. In 1993, this environmental protest at Clockwatt Sound, um, there was a logging block blockade put in place for many, many months. 800 people were arrested in the blockade, 80% of them women. And it was the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history. Um, at the same time as this was happening on Vancouver Island, there were many, many protests in Vancouver, either at the Macmillan Blodell building or at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And in 1987, um, there was the Asia Pacific Economic Conference, APEC, at UBC at the Museum of Anthropology. And when protesters tried to get nearer, um, they were pepper sprayed, the infamous Sergeant Pepper. Um, episode. This is Rob Miller sitting in his uh, area at Woodsquat. Woodsquat was a 92-day direct action housing protest in the old Woodward's department store building downtown to bring attention to homelessness, affordable housing, like <laughs> that was in 2002. Still an issue today. Uh, this was an anti-war um, demonstration at the uh, Vancouver Art Gallery on March 19, 2003, minutes after the U.S. fired its first cruise missiles at Iraq. As I said before, May Day is uh, still celebrated. This is a 2004 May Day um, rally downtown. And more on the riots. So, of course, there was a 1994 Stanley Cup riot and then a 2011 Stanley Cup riot.
that same year, um, there was a Occupy Vancouver, which is part of a global movement, uh, the Occupy movement to protest corporate greed, unemployment, government inaction. Uh, this was a six-week occupation at the Vancouver Art Gallery and kind of a new thing in a way of a par being part of global protests rather than you know the history of labor protests and social justice movement um, moving more into global pro protests. Uh, in 2014, there was Vancouver's long, or, um, BC's longest teacher strike in history. Um, kids were out of school for five weeks, so this is a big rally by the BC Federation of Labor and the BC Teachers Federation. For a while in the 19 uh, in the 2000s, there was kind of uh, a move towards online petitions and um, less about street protests and. In 2016, um, 5,000 people marched down Camby Street from City Hall to protest the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline. It was kind of a return to people feeling they had to get away from their computers and that kind of online protest and get back on the street again. And of course, in 2017, there was the Women's March when 15,000 people attended um, a massive march after, the day after the inauguration of Donald Trump. So once again, this back to the streets again, as you can see in the early days, um, people felt they just couldn't not get out anymore. They had to get back on the street again. So as I said, you know, I've, you know protesting has been in Vancouver's DNA for uh, many years. Um, Vancouver's protest culture, born from our rebellious and turbulent history, is bred into our city's blood. Our citizens' passion and engagement with a wide range of social and political issues, from hyperlocal to global, cannot be denied. And while a simmering opposition to authority in the city of extremes can take us to the edge and sometimes over, at the heart of our city's culture of resistance is the utopian ideal of social order and peace and the desire for community belonging. It is this optimistic idealism that drives Vancouverites to continually show up, step up, and seek a better path and a better world in our own fiercely independent West Coast way. Thank you. Thank you.